0: And welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. He, as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. We brought here my good friend, John Larkin. Welcome back to the Catholic Toolbox.
1: Great to be back, George.
0: It's been, it's been a while since you were down here in Sydney. <laughs> and uh, no, it's it's uh, such a great honor to have you back here speaking about your... your uh, Pretty regular guest at one point. back.
1: I do miss those days. Unfortunately, uh, the, the, we're suffering from the tyranny of distance at the moment. So I'm living a thousand kilometres away on the other side of the border, but uh, you know, hopefully, to, hope to return one day.
0: Absolutely. And you're doing great work up in Brisbane. And uh, as, uh, as a teacher, you work very closely with students and you have for Absolutely. the past uh, decades. So enlighten us about the situation today. With young people in their faith, I mean you've worked in the par red areas and now the different system you have experience in both enlighten us a little bit about what the situation is today and what you're seeing young where young people and millennials are at at the moment with their faith and uh, and sort of how do we bring them back but let 's talk about the situation first
1: Oh well, no, it's a, it's a very good uh, very good question George and I think um Someone asked me today in the staff room, and they said, oh, like I've worked school in Sydney for many years and where the faith was practiced very strongly, worked in a co-educational Catholic school in Brisbane for two years, last two years, and then recently just moved to an all-boys school. And someone said, oh, are the kids different? the kids different? And hopefully it won't surprise people too much, but the one universal you find is young people are so similar across the spectrum in terms of their ideals, their outlooks, what concerns them, and have worked in different socioeconomic areas. And I think so many young people, so I almost say all young people, have the same fears, concerns, and ideals. So I think that's, that's one thing that's, that's struck me a little bit. And I suppose when you talk about things of the faith, I do believe that there's an awful lot of young people who are searching. A few will say they are, but once you, and many will say they're not, but once you scratch below the surface a little bit, you do find many of them are looking for something deeper, something more meaningful in their life. And I think that's a universal across every social spectrum, Every age group, etc. That's probably my, my sort the big, uh, the big message. I think that comes from a quarter of a century, century dealing with young people. Is people are searching.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I really think about it often, and I wonder, uh, are youth interested in the bigger questions in life? many people still asking them are, are we too distracted because i mean there's a situation where <laughs> with the tiktok situation of young people and not being able to focus or ask deeper questions or, or or we we often get that impression we have a bad image of the youth but what's what's the situation there with in terms of distraction are we are they too distracted today let's say those who are in high school at the moment or is there still hope but yeah no. it's
1: yeah, and it's one thing you didn't notice. Uh, very interesting, when you, particularly in the teaching profession, you notice it, that, and this is once again a universal, but students' ability to concentrate for long periods, to listen for long periods, to stay on task for a long period, it's mm-hmm. been a challenge for teachers, and we've had to adjust our teaching accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes it harder, not not impossible, but harder for young people to think about deeper issues, and I think for a typical young person, uh, death is so far away, okay, it's 60, 70, people living so long nowadays, it's, they're going to live to their, the new generation is going to live to their 90, and so retirement and old age is so far away, they're healthier than they've ever been, they're more materially comfortable, Uh and the idea of last things, end of life decisions, Uh just doesn't much relevance but it's interesting you mentioned the thing about searching and i've had a repeated conversation i've had so many times with young people when they say they claim to be an atheist and i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a bold claim here i actually believe i believe there are very few young people very few who are intellectual atheists who've thought deeply, who have deep, intellectual, well-thought-out, logical reasons for their atheism. And this is a typical question I've had every year, multiple times in religion. And then they say, oh, sir, why do we do religion? And you tell them why it's important. they say, sir, I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, do you understand the term? I said, yeah, I, I just, I'm not into religion. I said, well, no, no that's different, okay? That's talking about practices of piety, etc. okay? I said, but do you believe there's something bigger than us, something out there? I said, oh, there may be, but it's not relevant to me. Okay, well, if you said maybe, you're not an atheist, you are an agnostic, someone who doesn't, okay, doesn't believe there's enough evidence to believe, okay? So you're even not sure yeah. it's not relevant. And I said, oh, if, I, uh, if you had enough evidence, demonstration for the existence of God, would you believe? I said, oh, yeah, I would. But he still wouldn't be relevant. That's okay. And I said, I, uh, would you like to know the truth? And they said, oh, yeah, perhaps. And suddenly you've got someone who claims to be atheist. You take them along this passage, and they're actually a searching agnostic I' told one one of the students said, oh, if if the truth was presented to you in a way that was irrefutable, would you believe it and would you follow it and the young 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 uh, young student said oh, with a smile he said, Oh I suppose I'd have to and I said, Well, okay, and I realized for young people, this is so common, and it's not atheism, God doesn't exist for them it's just god's Not relevant. And I think hopefully, with a few things we sort of go through tonight, hopefully this could give some food for thought. And my thoughts are for the young people themselves, if they're listening, but also for parents. I think it's for parents who are trying to bring their kids up in the faith. It's browbeating them, giving them intellectual arguments doesn't work. They've got to show the kids, their, their, their sons and daughters why the faith is relevant and to right. me that's the, the big picture idea
0: yeah i mean it's interesting as well like you mentioned intellectual i i, I still don't think there are sufficient intellectual arguments given it's not as if <laughs> your average parent today uh kid goes home asks a question and uh the parents uh start chucking saint thomas aquinas's five proofs of the existence of god <laughs> that's not happening yeah. um I think there's a lot of catechesis to be done uh still. Absolutely. But but as you said, the experience is so important that they need to experience God um, in their everyday life. Uh, there, there's something empty about just arguments for the existence of God without marrying it up and, and having that lived experience. And then someone can say, ah, oh, I do believe in God authentically. Mm-hmm. They mix, they know the intellectual arguments, but again they've experienced in their day-to-day life to see that it's possible. And here on the Catholic toolbox, that's what we want to do. We want to make the faith practical so people can look at us and say, well, Catholicism works, faith works. There must be a God and so on and so forth. And uh, what's your greatest, what's the greatest challenge that's put before you, before students on a day-to-day
1: level Well, I think the greatest challenge is. Bring
0: them back to their faith.
1: Yeah, the greatest challenge is to. I think to to show them the transforming power of faith. And I think that's the biggest challenge. And for some of them, faith is a cultural context. Mum and dad practiced. Everyone's got a grandma. At some stage, you practiced, okay? And then they think, oh, well, there's this cultural sort of a train you jump on, the Catholic faith, they jump on, and there's all this cultural baggage but to try and show young people that the faith having the faith embracing taking it on board will transform your life not in the nursing home in 70 years time when you're about to meet our lord but now when you're 16 17 18 years old the difference it'll make and i think the i think if you look on youtube the number of self help self help videos there are Self, uh, all these courses you can do for self improvement, etc., and to try and show people, yeah, you can invest three hundred dollars in a weekend course, or embrace the faith. The transforming effect of the faith will be greater, and I think that's the biggest challenge is to convince young people that the trans when they take the faith on board, they see it, and everybody around them sees it, and I think that's I think that's the the biggest challenge is to take this step, take this leap. Yeah.
0: And, uh, I mean, if we really look at it, I'm interested in a bit of numbers. Like, wh- what are we looking at in terms of students who graduate high school today and who continue practising their faith after they leave school and especially in, in schools who practise the faith and have mass and so forth, whatever system it may be, um, do we have any figures or idea how many continue practicing their faith? I mean, with good catechesis and formation, uh, do do we have any idea how many students leave school and continue practicing the faith?
1: I don't know the numbers offhand, but I can just only anecdotally, just from the previous, or apart from the school in Sydney, which is well known, but um, in the last two schools, I think I had a class of 30 students, one of my year nine religion class, and one of the young lasses there, she practiced. That was one out of 30, okay? One out of 30. And okay. One out of 30. That's, and I think it, currently the students, if there's 200 students graduating, maybe five of them, or maybe even 10 of them, might still go to mass with their parents. Okay. okay. And so, yeah. That's the figures we're looking at. I believe it's, I think we're looking at less than 10%. Less okay? than students, oh, yeah. That's about do, the yeah. same
0: in Australia of Catholics who do practice their faith. I mean, it's interesting because. They estimate not 10, nine to 12% of Catholics in Australia nationwide practice their faith. So we're looking at the 10% mark. I mean, really schools, I mean, school, everyone goes to school and that's, that's I think, been producing the the rate of people practicing their faith. But I know you did work in uh, uh, another school before. I mean, uh, what, about, what about the bit of the data there that we can talk about? Uh, <laughs> oh, I
1: think we well, <laughs> That school was to uh, say, yeah, the, that data there was a little bit skewed, but there was. I mean, the school in Sydney where I used to work. Yeah, and, I mean, the school
0: uh, in Sydney. I think uh, there might be some different statistics there that we can.
1: I think well, <laughs> and I think there, in terms of kids practicing their faith, it's probably around seventy to eighty yeah, percent. Wow. of kids. Of, yeah, kids who'd leave. I mean, we at the school that was there, you'd have daily mass, and a daily mass. This is mass every day at the school. It wasn't a big school, 450 students, and you'd get 60 to 70 students each day attending daily Mass, okay? And that's just each day, each day of the week. And I think when you look at it, it was just this the perfect combination of Mum and Dad live the faith, teachers went to Master in the week, and they'd see the practice of the teachers, and this whole sense was instilled in the students of, Practicing the faith is just a normal thing to do. It's like you have breakfast in the morning, you go to work, dad goes to mass, mum does the rosary in the evening, okay? And just the kids, the young people just see it. It's not an add an extra, it's not an imposition, it's as natural, Having doing the family rosary is as natural as having dinner in the evening. And just people just think, well, kids just grow up. Well, this is what you do. This is what's normal. And I suppose we've got a challenge from that was a very special environment. Okay. A very special environment. And I don't think there's there's only a few schools in Sydney that whether have that have that sort of statistics. But only I think yeah,
0: four. I think there's about four. I think four, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think everyone knows uh, yeah, maybe with schools we we're alluding to, but, um, but yeah, you can definitely look it up and do your research. Um, but, but I think the fact that you explain the mechanism of the day-to-day life of a student in that kind of environment, as opposed to you know, every other environment or, uh, or uh, in terms of comparing the statistics, um, it really explains what helps to keep the faith of students. That is the parents Absolutely. as the foundation, uh, parents, uh, the primary educators in the home. And then it's interesting because then when the student leaps over to school and spends six to seven hours a day at school, he's, he, he, he's in harmony with what the, parent, the lifestyle of the parents are living already. So they go back home. It's mm. the same harmonious um, environment where they're living their faith and it's a normal thing. Uh, which which grounds people in a world where there's so much chaos. Um, so I think I think you beautifully explained it, and that explains what what the parents and the schools uh, doing their part, both doing their part, working together with the parents as the head uh, are doing right, and uh, that can be a model for all institutions. And um, absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: But let's go into some three practical tools. How do you think parents listening to this who whose kids maybe don't practice the faith anymore, left church, don't go to church on Sunday uh, or during high school. <laughs> As many of your students may say, you know, I'm an atheist, you know, uh, or mm. really an agnostic, searching agnostic. How how on an institutional level and, and on a personal level, let's touch on the three practical tools for the institution and three practical mm-hmm. tools. So I'm gonna. I want six tools out of you, John, this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure. Okay. All right. Could I um? Could I maybe suggest something to the parents? Could I talk to yeah. the parents? Yes. But maybe you some, may. three, three, three. tools to the parents, and maybe a thought for the parents is the first idea is when the uh, when, your stu- when your son or daughter has stopped practicing, the very first tool. And the very first mode of thinking is whatever you do, this is going to be a two-edged, two-edged sword or two-part, is don't panic and just listen. And so that was sort of the um, and typical thing. So if your son or daughter has stopped going to Mass, doesn't want to go to Mass anymore. I think mum and dad will grab the Catechism of the Catholic Church, say about why it's important, et etc. et cetera. But with young people, to listen first, and for the parents to ask, okay, well, hey, I noticed you're you're not really sort of participating in mass or you're finding it a bit challenging, or you're really sort of, uh it's not your thing. And what what do you, what do you feel at? What's going What's going on? What do What do you find is so challenging? And suddenly, a whole conversation comes from that, okay, and then. So the first first idea to parents is to open the dialogue, not to talk, to listen, to find out what's going on in the uh, what's going on in their in their uh, son or daughter's head, and more importantly, in the heart. So that's probably the first thing for parents. I think the second thing for parents, second tool for parents, is to take. I've seen. So many cases of this, so many saintly mothers, many saintly mothers, a few saintly fathers, who take their children to the prayer every single day. The second tool is just, the first tool is to listen and dialogue. The second is to take the children to the prayer every day. So when mum and dad do some prayer each evening, they take the child to the prayer and two things happen. They ask our Lord about, they beseech our Lord to bring their son or daughter back to the faith. They also get guidance or insight into strategies, ideas or things, conversations that they can start with their son or daughter. Okay? And maybe the third thing with this prayer is mum dad's They'll see their son or daughter stopping the practice of the faith. They're also doing a myriad of other things. Okay, <laughs> coming home late, driving too fast, etc. When they pray for their son and daughter, it's very hard to maintain anger against someone if you're praying. And so, by praying for them, their whole perspective changes. And so that's my probably my second idea just to pray, for mum and dad to open the dialogue first, pray, second. And I think the third thing is to give example rather than talk. I'll give you just two analogies for this one. This is particularly for the dads, this one. It's very much one for the dads. If a dad tells his son, son, you should practise the faith. It's important, okay? It's part of our heritage, okay? Et cetera, et cetera there'll be no response, no connection, no resonance. If the dad goes out to the back veranda, takes out the gospel, book of prayer, his rosary beads, whatever it might be, and spends a few moments in prayer, quiet prayer, the son sees that. And it's a powerful, powerful um, form of apostolate, a form of encouragement. And so dad's not what's coming out of dad's mouth. It's what's coming into his son's eyes. And the son sees right, dad praying, and he realises, wow, my dad's a great man. He prays every day. He doesn't dominate, etc." And I think the example, and I've seen this so many times, of dads who pray, mums and dads who pray, sorry, mums and dads, Mums tend to be more natural, okay? (laughs) But dads who pray and their sons see them praying, the sons get this impression, oh, dad goes to work, he works hard. Dad mows the lawn, he's got to do that. And dad prays. And that's the aspects of dad's life, okay? So I think that aspect for parents, not to panic, just to dialogue, to pray and to give example, and just be patient, okay? The great. Just keep us remembering St. Monica, St. Augustine, okay? To be, to be patient.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's beautifully well said. And the, the first practical tool is very important. And let's, let's zoom into that a little bit. How can people go mm-hmm. into the discussion? Because often I, I speak to dads. So I speak to people. And um, I know of many people who the kids have left the faith and What I observe often is there's this strictness in pushing people to go to church, pushing people to practice the faith. And and when they get to an older age, they just rebel against it. But how can we inspire people to search? for? I I was very different when I had my reversion. I mean, I was in grade eight and nine. I mean, not many people, (laughs) a little bit special, but not many people uh, pick themselves up and, uh, take some courses, you know, and uh, start reading and studying uh, theology books in year 10 and flung school to take courses. (laughs) Um, I mean, many people are very intellectual. They love the intellectual arguments and apologetics. That's sort of what brought me back. I had no appeal for youth or uh, people uh, uh, engaging me in that sense. But I think everyone's a little bit different. Some people uh, appealed by the practice of the faith and every other thing, but how can we engage in that conversation well? How can we uh, provide what's called the lure of the faith, the lure of uh, truth? uh, Okay.
1: One one thing, and I think uh, the the Holy Father, Pope Francis, talks a lot about this, and it's, when you hear his his, his homilies and his his brief uh, talks, he talks a lot about being Christocentric, okay? the personal relationship with our Lord. And I think the young people, the young people, to me, this is the crucial aspect. Now, yeah. just a, a little anecdote. I was talking to a dad recently, and he's up here in Brisbane, and anyways, he said, uh, taking his son to Sunday Mass. Yep. It was, it was like, like taking the dog to get a bath, okay? He was just unwilling, didn't want, to, didn't want to go, didn't get much from it, Etc. And then in the local parish, they Mm -hmm. had all-night vigils. Yeah. All-night vigils in front of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. And he asked his son, would you like to go? Thinking how hard it was to get his son to Mass. And to his surprise, his son said, oh, yeah, I'll give that a go. He took his son to an all-night vigil. His son found a quiet place in the church. And he looked in amazement, crossed at his son on his knees, the tabernacle. Yep. And I think particularly the boys, boys hate formalities, liturgical ceremonies, et it's just It's not them, but the quiet of the chapel, the one-on-one dialogue with our Lord, and to get them to acknowledge the fact that they hate liturgy, a lot of them, but say, look, the faith, it's not just about mass. It's talking to the best friend. Talking to your best friend who's always there, who's always waiting, who doesn't run away, etc. And get that idea of our Lord as the best, most dependable, reliable friend there is, to get that concept across, to spend and to even so to say to the sons and daughters, look, I know you must find mass nice heart. Okay, sometimes we all do. But that few minutes of dialogue with our Lord, ask him things, beseech him for things, okay? Complain to him, etc. To me, that is the key for young people, is to get them to pray. To get them to spend those few minutes in silence with our Lord, it just makes the world a difference.
0: I mean, that's uh, absolutely beautiful. And let's, uh, I think, uh, let's talk about the institution. You know, I mean, day-to-day running of schools, but maybe, maybe many teachers who might be listening, principals, um, heads in different education places, whether it's public or uh, any, other, any other system, um, what can they do on institutional? What are three practical tools to help them and aid them in improving the day-to-day faith environment to, to make it more conducive, to look into the faith and build that relationship with our Lord? Again, it comes down to the relationship. Because if I don't have a yeah. relationship with someone as a friend, um, yeah. they might have a party or a ceremony or anything else. And I, I don't have the why there. I'm not convinced. I'm not self-motivated to be there. But let, let's look at the institutions. What are some three practical tools uh, for the institutions to take heed? All right. And,
1: okay. And this, so you're thinking more about uh, the teachers in terms of the teachers of the faith or the broader structure of a school? What do you think? Or? Hmm. Maybe.
0: I mean, okay, I let's focus in on the teacher. Okay. The, ground, the people who do the groundwork, really.
1: Yeah. And I think for the, for the teachers, maybe a few, a few thoughts for the teachers. One is very much with the students, when you're dealing with the students, is to not be an icicle. To not be an icicle, to not be a... Um, what's the expression? Sometimes people use the expression to be like a porcupine, where you... Preach, but without showing your vulnerability. And so this has got to be careful with the teacher with this. But when you dialogue with the students, when you talk about your relationship with our Lord and you tell the students why you pray, what comes from your prayer, why you see it's important, and it's not you telling them about church doctrine from the catechism, why we should pray, why is it important? It's your personal story. And I think that, that resonates very strongly with the students. To say, and you say, look, I go to Mass in the morning, not because I always feel like it, because I know it's a rich source of grace, because I want to get closer to God, because I know by going to Mass, it has a transformative influence on my life, okay? I don't feel like it, but I want to go, and it just—and that's probably two things at once there. So the first idea is to tell your story of your own faith journey a bit.
0: Yep, I'm
1: personal. Also, number one, but the second one is to help the students to distinguish between wanting and feeling. Yeah. i and since I've come up to Brisbane, I've been experiencing much warmer climate up here. It's lovely, but. Uh, On a a cold Sunday morning, when the mercury is under 10 degrees, you may not feel like going to mass. You may not feel like doing these practices of piety, but telling the students you want to do these things because of you think they're important for you, they're important as a Christian, they're transformative in your own life. Okay, they're the means for you to change the world. Okay, doing these, praying, and go to mass. And so, helping the students to see that how the faith helps to transform you can help a lot. Okay, can help the students a lot. Otherwise, it's just, I think that for religion teachers in particular, the students have to see. That your teaching is not you, t- you don't teach religion like you teach history or science or whatever. So you do those to pass the test. You teach religion to prepare them for life, and the importance you place in your faith it comes through so clearly in your class in the classroom. The students will see, "Oh, sir knows his doctrine, but his faith." Is obviously important to him. And that'll come through in your expressions, in your enthusiasm, in the way you talk, etc.
0: I mean, it's uh, profoundly, I mean, profoundly said there. And um, <clears throat> where do you see us moving forward in the next five years? I mean, mm. are, are we? Uh, we, we, with students where, where are we heading there I mean you see students from starting students leaving where are we heading in terms of the situation of faithlessness so we can actually strategize and meet people where they're at whoever's listening here whether they're a teacher or just a simple person or a peer um, where do you see things heading John
1: uh, in terms of a um, like to, in terms of things improving or things declining or yeah, well, I, yeah I, I see I see small pockets, small pockets of hope. And I, see, I do see small pockets of hope when I when you go to you go to some schools where you see things faith is practiced, when you go to some churches where things are done well, where the Eucharist is central, and you go to these churches and you see what do you see? Young people. And I think that's the fact. That's when the when the young people see that the Eucharist is the central to this, where they have adoration, where the church is open more often than not. Okay, where extra masses are said. And I think we. I'm hoping things come through the plenary council. Yeah. Okay. But, um, but this, yes. But this, this idea of when we introduce, reintroduce people to our Lord in the Eucharist, <coughs> see that as the way forward. Okay. And I know, I know there was talk about more, um, more times of exposition, more times of visiting in the council. And I think if those things get put into place, I think that's a great, I think I can see things coming through that. Good things
0: that, coming that through. That'd be tremendous. I mean, if we have more access to churches, we can make visits uh, I know we have to normally make our visit in the afternoon, John uh, yes, right, and, yes. uh, and make life a lot easier <laughs> for those mm. who need to make a visit or get to mass or, you know, ha- having access to adoration, definitely something which can sanctify many people coming by. I mean, I mean, these are great things to pray for. I mean, uh, there's some mm. of the intentions that we have uh, praying for the plenary
1: and uh, especially yeah. at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I think one, one, one thing I see, George, is a bit of a ray of hope as well, is it's people sort of uh, lambast the internet and say, well, okay, the internet is terrible, it's dragging people away. The number of resources to help young people on the internet is just extraordinary, okay? And just even putting those, uh, people's concentration span nowadays, it's, it's shorter, much shorter. They can't, people don't read anymore. They listen to podcasts. Okay, yeah. they watch videos, etc. But to utilise that, and there was a there was a great thing you might have heard about this one happened in Spain. It was a mum said to said to the priest of the local school there, my son stopped going to mass. He stopped praying, and I can't get him to read or do anything. Could you do a little ten minute podcast for my son to listen to? try and bring him back mm-hmm. and the, made a little 10-minute podcast mm-hmm. and then she shared it with him a few of his mates started to look forward to these 10-minute podcasts and after a while mm-hmm. they had a of them listening every day they've now got 50,000 young people listen to these 10-minute podcasts and I think to spread the message try and bring people back to the faith to use the means that are there, which is internet. The use of podcasts, the rapid pace of the media. I think they're our tools that can help people to come back.
0: I mean, definitely we have to take advantage of that. And uh, we're doing that here on the Catholic Toolbox. Many other people are out there on social media. And I think that can really catechise people and bring people back and yeah. if if we do our part in the classroom, sure, uh, that's great but if we have if, if we're doing our part from every dimension in which young people live work and breathe uh, and work through uh, then i think we, we're, we're setting it up for creating a good faith environment but thank you so much john for being with me today on the catholic toolbox it's such a pleasure to always have you your insightful wisdom
1: absolute pleasure and i'm happy to come back anytime you want george I'd love Absolutely. to come back. We
0: definitely have you back here on the catholic toolbox thank you for being with me okay
1: excellent Those thank you george
0: for those who want to tune in and follow us on the podcast, go to the Catholic Show.com, that's the Catholic Toolbox or download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts on every single platform we're available. So, till next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.